Okay. The scripture this morning is taken from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17, and we're reading verses 1 through 6. 1 Kings 17, 1 through 6. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook Cherith. For those of you who are sports fans, my deepest condolences to all of your teams, mine included. But as one person said, sports is great entertainment, but it makes for a lousy God. And I hope that you know that uh, our God still reigns, no matter if our team loses or not, right? Uh, this morning, we're going to look at Elijah. And so the sermon is not about standing alone in a department store, uh, that, that store called Gap. It's really about being God's person for the hour. In my short life so far, one person always stands in mind, I guess because I had just graduated high school a year before, when this person was in high school on April the 20th, 1999. I had never heard of her. You probably had never heard of her either. So some of you maybe in this room weren't even born. Her name was Cassie. And on that day that she went to school, Two boys walked in and uh, shot and killed her and many others. But before that happened, Cassie Bernal, her life totally changed for God. Uh, she was born on November the 6th, 1981. And she would be what we would call today a martyr. She never reached her 19th birthday and a question was asked of her, Do you believe in God? Yes, she said, without a doubt. Immediately after she answered, she became absent from the body and at home with the Lord. You see, in that very quick moment, Cassie stood alone in the gap. Now, I'm not saying that if you're going to stand alone in the gap, that means that you must die. It may, because... The truth is, God is worth living for. He's also worth dying for. Ezekiel 22 verse 30 reads, And I searched for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Our, our Sunday school ended with an interesting conversation, and really it was honestly about where are the people now who stand for Christ? Where are the people who stand for the gap? Through the prophet Ezekiel, God actually says, I found no one. 
Our worst fear is that God will look at our core, other churches around the world, and say, I found no one to stand for me. Let's go now to the life of Elijah. The corruption of Israel was so complete that when God searched for someone to stand in the gap of a nation's sin, no one was found in in Ezekiel's time. But in Elijah's time, there was one. Isn't there always sometimes just one? But that one makes a difference. Where would the Jews be today without a young lady named Esther? Well, I can tell you. They wouldn't be here, right? What would you be reading today if it wasn't for, uh, and unfortunately, forgive me, his name, I have lost his name, but he, oh, Tyndall. William Tyndall was burned at the stake so you could read your Bible in English. Standing alone in the gap. So when you think God may be asking you to go talk to someone or do something, just remember there are others who have done far more than what God may be requiring you to do, and yet they still did it. And so let's look at 2 Kings 7, I'm sorry, 1 Kings 17. Because God raises up an unlikely person to deal with sin. And what Mary Carol read, I'll just uh, read to you. The, now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe. It's important to know where some people come from. Because where he's from will tell you a lot about how he was raised. From Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab. Now, who is Ahab? Ahab is the king. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Ahab was an evil king. Everything he did was demonic. 1 Kings 16, 29 and 33 says, Ahab the son of Omri became king over Israel. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, and Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. That is not what you want on your resume. He did evil more than all combined. We're not just talking about a mean guy. We're talking about someone who is total evil, and yet Elijah stood bravely in in supernatural courage and said uh, that things were going to change according to the Lord. And it came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. I'm still quoting from uh, uh, 1 Kings 16. Sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab also made the Asherah. Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. This is a bad, evil man. And his wife wasn't all that great either. Baal, worship, idol worship, Asherah poles were actually more like, um, dare I say, 
symbols of, of where to go uh, fornicate with other prostitutes that were uh, basically the, the pastors of their local temple. You get where I'm going with this. From reading those verses, we learn that Ahab is totally evil, and yet God sends one man from Tishbe. J. Oswald Sanders wrote of Elijah, Elijah appeared at zero hour in Israel's history like a meteor he flashed across the inky blackness of Israel's spiritual night. He stood alone in the gap. When you and I stand alone for God, we're not standing alone. That's important to understand because you will feel like you are. Why did God tell Moses, Moses, I will be with you? Because he knew that when he stood before Pharaoh, he knew he would feel alone. He knew that he would feel like he could not say what needed to be said. So here is the most evil king so far that Israel has ever seen. And yet Elijah appeared seemingly out of nowhere. Many times who God uses, even today, it's not who we would pick. We are not that far, in our, in, even in our own way, like the prophet Samuel, who meant well when he looked at all of Jesse's sons and said, it's got to be that handsome guy. And God said, no, it's not. You're looking at the outside. I look in the heart. Elijah had a rough exterior. Elijah's name literally means Jehovah the Lord is my God. El, E-L, is God. This is interesting because this is the main message Elijah gives to King Ahab and Jezebel. You're not God. Baal is not God. The Lord is God. They're both involved in Baal worship, and God calls Elijah, a man from Gilead, to declare that unless Ahab repents, there won't be rain for three and a half years. Now, maybe rain to you is not that big of a deal, but you know... Uh, that if you grew up around farmers or you know anything about that type of life, he was basically saying things are going to die. You know that country song, where I come from, rain is a good thing? All right? Rain is a good thing around here too. When we lived in eastern North Carolina and there was no rain, that means uh, the sweet potatoes wouldn't grow, the cotton wouldn't grow. I don't care if the tobacco grows, but they did. You see, Ahab is being told by a man who, who has supernatural courage that if you don't do something, God will intervene. Israel's leader was an idolater, and God had to send a special person to deal with the sin of the king. So here's a couple of things to remember today. God looks for special people at difficult times. Just, don't think that just because things look bad today means that God has forgotten us. God hadn't forgotten Israel, and God hasn't forgotten you. God created this man named Elijah, put him in this rough terrain. He was more like a swamp people character, okay? And he had a message from the Lord. Elijah could stand in the gap and stand face to face with an evil king because he knew God. God is searching for special people today. Now, I know the first thing you're thinking of is someone else. That's the problem. 
Gideon thought of someone else. The angel said, hey, you, mighty warrior. I'm sure Gideon thought, who's behind me? I'm not who you're looking for. Maybe the special person is you. Friends, I know it's hard to hear this, but sometimes you're the answer to your prayer. God sends somebody to speak to that person. Well, why don't you do it? God, help, you know, help, help my core to be stronger. Okay. Teach a Sunday school class. Play in the band. You get where I'm going here. We always think it's someone else, but it's really not. God could be looking at you today and saying, in your family, stand in the gap. At your workplace, stand in the gap. Be God's representative in difficult situations. 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. This is a good verse to memorize because the eyes of God range, or some verses, or versions say it, they run to find hearts that are totally committed. That's really what we're talking about. To stand in the gap, to stand between, is to be totally committed to what God has for you. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those who basically aren't afraid to stand in the gap for Him. We love to sing it, I'll stand for Christ, for Christ alone. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. We're not talking about doing it in here. We're talking about doing it everywhere else. Maybe in here. You know, my wife said that Jesus stood and stood against people. You know who he often stood against? The religious people. Think about that. The Lord found his special person in Gilead. So let's talk about where is Elijah from? You are where you're from on purpose. People say to me, you sound Southern. It's because that's where I'm from. I'm not going to sound like I'm from Minnesota. Gilead was in northern Transjordan area on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Basically, it was rough terrain. It was a place of solitude. It was a place of outdoor life. A place where most people, including Elijah, would have lived rugged lives, probably tanned from the sun. We would say he's a redneck. Probably muscular, leathery. Just think of John the Baptist kind of person. He was, he was your modern day outside worker with a word from the Lord. Not the type of person that's going to go speak to the king of Israel. But you see, God is calling men and women, young people, who will come face to face with evil and proclaim that God is God. Now, you can do that and do it in a Christ-like way. We need modern-day Elijahs who aren't afraid to stand up for Christian values and can do it in, in a godly way. Let, let me say that correctly. In a godly way. Don't make Jesus out to be a jerk. That's not going to help. Okay? You, you all know how much I love Chuck Swindoll's writings. This is what he said about Israel. I'm sorry, Elijah. Quote, In our culture, our schools, our offices, our factories, our lunchrooms, boardrooms, 
our halls of ivy and our halls of justice. We need men and women of God, young people of God. We need respected professionals, athletes, homemakers, teachers, public figures, private citizens who will promote the things of God, who will stand alone, stand tall, stand firm, stand strong. I knew an officer, in fact, he was the first Corps officer I ever remember, and his big phrase was stand tall. Dan Proctor, some of you may know who I'm speaking of. But friends, if you don't know the Lord, you can't stand tall. You can't stand strong. Because it's God's power that empowers us to stand when really we should be kneeling. Daniel stood. The three other men stood. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood not because of their own strength, but because they knew the power of God in their life. Notice who God doesn't use to proclaim this message to Ahab. He doesn't use somebody from the school of prophets. He doesn't use someone well-known. He also doesn't use someone with a backbone. I believe it's Charles Haddon Spurgeon that said, sometimes people with a backbone are just called mean by people who don't have one. Sometimes you need a tough bulldozer that's not liked. Elijah probably was not liked, but he still did what God called him to do. God needed someone tough, and Elijah was that man for that season, you see. Here's another thing to remember. God's methods are often surprising. God needed a man to stand in the gap, and he found him in a remote area. This, again, isn't the first time God's methods have included someone who looked insignificant. I mentioned, I mentioned uh, David. In fact, Jesse actually forgot about him. Don't you have any other sons? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the little one at home, the runt. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We still do this from time to time. We look at people, we see their, their flaws, and in our own biases we say, well, they're, they're not the right person. Who are we? to say that. When God chose Elijah, he looked at his heart. God's methods are surprising. They will surprise you. God says through Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God's method was to use Elijah for a specific purpose. You know, that's why when we look at the characters of scripture, we don't see sometimes their whole life. God just shows us when they were used by him. When you go through life, there's, there's only a, a very small amount of people in your world that will see your life, the majority of your life, right? Most of us, in and out, we're only here for a season in other people's lives. But in that season, we need to show Christ. God's method was to use Elijah for a specific purpose. Does God have something special in store for you? Let me answer that. Yes. God has a ministry waiting for you. 
The worst thing that happened in church history is the idea that the only person who ministered was the person standing in this box. That's probably the worst thing that happened to the church in its history. All of us have a ministry. All of us have a job to do. God's methods of bringing someone to Him might include you as that one pointing that person to Christ. Do you know that most studies have been uh, done in churches all around the world, especially in America, that usually the reason why people are brought to church has nothing to do with the pastor. It's the person sitting next to them is why they keep coming. They're told, hello, here's the songbook. Let me help welcome all of those things. You see, it's the church. God uses the church to grow his church. Your, your greatest ministry might be to just two or three people. Don't discount, discount your witness in their life. God's method of using Elijah to confront Ahab and Jezebel probably was very surprising. You may even be thinking right now, the most surprising thing is that God would use me. And maybe you're right, but isn't that what God does? God is full of surprises. If you allow Him, He will work in you to accomplish what you and I would never dream of. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. In my weakness, God is made perfect and strong. Consider the Apostle Paul. He said that. He said, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. uh, 2 Corinthians 12.10 Paul is saying, usually when I don't think I can be used of God, that's when he uses me the most. Just like Elijah, Paul was one who stood in the gap for the Lord. Just like Elijah, Paul confronted those, even in the church, more than outside that defiled God's standard. See, that's where real courage comes from. You see, for a lot of us, it it's not, doesn't take a lot of courage to tell a sinner about God. It may take a lot of courage to tell another Christian that they need to work on something. But we're called to that as well. Both of these men knew something that each one of us should know, and that is this. When we stand before God, we, we stand before God when we stand in the gap. God is still searching today for hearts that are fully committed to Him. In fact, that's all He's ever asked for. Commitment. Doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you're from. He will use all of that. He will use your background, your story. But what He's looking for is commitment. We can be encouraged today to know that if God used someone like Elijah, He can use someone like you. He has used you. He is using you now. One of the things that we should pray for as individual Christians is holy boldness. Because you need, if you're going to be bold, you're going to need holiness. Because sometimes we want to go out and do it in our own strength. And we say things we shouldn't. Our tempers flare. We do things we shouldn't. All in the name of Christ. Paul reminds his young protege Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. That in itself is holiness, a spirit of power, supernatural power by the Holy Spirit, a spirit of love. We can't do anything without the love of God. And then self-discipline, a fruit of the Spirit, 
that helps us to stay calm when everything else around us is chaotic. You know, if you've ever seen the little signs, you know, we, we, it's amazing what we, we do. We turn these little signs that we have really, we don't know anything about. Uh, uh, what's the word? That's the one I'm looking for. Be calm uh, and move on. Carry on. Keep calm and carry on. People say, oh, isn't that a great, that's a wonderful phrase. Do you know where that comes from? That comes from London, England, World War II, when their city was being bombed to smithereens. The king made these signs that said, keep calm and carry on. And these people walked the streets, went to their jobs, did all of these things while they were in war. And yet we put these signs, I actually have one in my office. Sometimes my office is a war zone. But you know, it's a reminder that with power, with love, and self-discipline, we can be calm and still stand in the gap. That spirit of power, love, self-discipline was in Elijah. It was in Paul. It was in Cassie Bernal. And it can be in you. You know, there's a great promise in the New Testament that says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God is calling us to stand in the gap for him. The question is, what will be, what is your answer? You know, I used the illustration of a girl that died, but more than likely, God will ask you to do something even more challenging and that is to live for Him. Every day, to live for Him. We're going to sing a chorus, and um, it's chorus 569. We talked about total commitment, and this chorus says, All there is of me, Lord, all there is of me, time and talents day by day, all I bring to Thee. All there is of me, Lord, all there is of me, on Thine altar here I lay all there is of me. We're going to sing that together. And, and uh, maybe God is calling you to be bold. You know, you've heard this said before, and it is true. Sometimes the hardest place to be a Christian is at home. Uh, it's around those people that you, you really can be yourself with. And sometimes that's where we have our greatest achievements, but also our greatest failures. And then with everyone we come in contact with, all there is of me, total commitment, holy boldness to stand and do the things God calls us to do. Because if He calls you to do something, He will equip you to do those things, to empower us. So as we, as we sing, I would invite you to pray, either at the altar or in your seat, that you would have courage to live as lights in this dark world. That's really what Jesus said. He said, you know, he said, I am the light of the world. Then he said, but you are light. We are lights in a dark world. God, is, God has given us a task. And it's not easy, but it can be done. And that is to stand for him. Let's sing together. Oh.